As the new year unfolds, make it a year of comfort and indulgence with Minky Couture. Wrap yourself in the lap of luxury with our exquisite blankets. Picture the cozy moments, the warmth of our premium materials, and the stylish designs that define Minky Couture. Welcome the new year with the ultimate in comfort and sophistication. January is your month to embrace luxury. Visit MinkyCouture.com or your nearest store today. Elevate your comfort, elevate your style with Minky Couture. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dressed, the history of fashion is a production of Dressed Media. billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. April, I'm going to wager that you and many of our listeners will instantly have an image come to mind when I say fashion, vogue, and bathhouse. Well, I have so many gay friends that might conjure an entirely different image in my mind. And happy Pride, everyone. We must say this is June. Yes, happy Pride. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but I do know the editorial spread of which you speak. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. I am speaking about Deborah Turbeville's multi-page bathhouse spread for the May 1975 issue of American Vogue magazine, which is comprised of some of the most iconic photographs in the history of fashion, capturing an intimate, sensual portrait of women, notably taken by a woman, which is really a powerful counterbalance to the in-your-face sexuality that defined Turbeville's contemporaries such as Helmut Newton. Front and center of that spread, April, is today's guest, Chris Royer. And if you joined us Tuesday, you know that Chris was an in-house model and muse for famed designer Halston. She was also part of his in-house creative design team that included Elsa Peretti and Joe Eula. She was also one of his dearest friends. And today we'll learn more about her time as a top model at Vogue, her life as a Halstonette, and her instrumental role in creating the Halston Archive and preserving his life and legacy for future generations to come. Chris, welcome back to Dressed. And you mentioned Deborah Turbeville's famous bathing suit shots. The bathhouse um, scene. Yeah, the bathhouse scene. And you are front and center in that spread. Can you yep. talk to us a little bit about that? Because that's a very iconic fashion history spread. Yes. What's funny is that the actual layout was supposed to be done by Helmut Newton in Monte Carlo. And then it was canceled and switched to Florida with I think it was Arthur Elgort and then it was it was switched out and then Vogue said no we're shooting it you know we're going to shoot it with Debbie uh in New York in these uh, it was like an old swimming park on the west side in the 20s and we're like 
what? (laughs) What? Wait a minute. You know, I was like, okay. So it was basically a lot of, they said it's, it's with Debbie. It was like, okay, I'll do everything for Debbie. And Halston was also friends with Debbie because there's a great picture that Debbie did when Halston in 74, when Halston got his townhouse, it's a fabulous picture. If you haven't found it, we can send it to you of uh, Halston in the, the living room with uh, Betsy Theocopoulos Kaiser and Elsa Peretti. It's a beautiful picture. But getting back to the bathhouse scene, the bathhouse scene was, it's iconic. When we first got into the actual place, it was, I believe it was February. It was very cold and no heating because it was, it needed repairs. You know, it was like swimming pools outside and it was for the community. It was like a community uh, bathhouse. We had uh, Polly Mellon, we had Francis Stein, we had all the editors on different days coming to the shoot and revising the pieces. Uh, they had Sarah Cap, they had Yasmeen and uh, Yazzie and uh, myself and Sonny Redmond, the gorgeous redhead. And we were all friends with Debbie. So it was sort of interesting to say, okay, we're going to do the shooting with the with the bathing suits. And uh, Sandy Lintner did the makeup on, on the shooting. And Debbie was very, uh, working with Debbie was always something. She sort of let you do things. She, she would say, stand over there. <laughs> that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> Or, you know, maybe she'd say, okay, now you can look. But she would basically like to move herself. So it was it was funny to see her moving around you, uh, you know, or you be moving around her. But in the bathhouse scene, it was so cold that we're like, okay, when are we going to shoot? When are we going to shoot? <laughs> and you got doused with water to make the, the suits cling to you. And it was like, this is, we, we just all sat there and went, this is, this is something that's going to be an iconic picture. And we just knew it. And it yeah. was like, when, when I was standing there, Sunny was next to me and Sunny was like, I, I said, what are you doing? You know? And she was like, she decided to sort of stretch out and move her hands upwards. So I decided to become more straight, you know, and, uh, pulled in and just extend my hand out a little to make the contrast between uh, Sonny and I. And and I think Yasmin just decided to sit down. (laughs) You know, it all came together with Sarah in the background. We, We didn't even know what Sarah was doing. So everybody was just doing their own thing, but it's a series. It's not just one. It's a series of them in there where they dressed us right. um, one where I have a, a beautiful black uh, shirt dress on and, and there's like a, a cap on me. And uh, yeah, I forget what uh, Sarah is wearing. And some of the other girls in there had different, uh, different outfits in, in the series, but we shot it. I mean, when, when, we did the actual bathing suit one, which is the mo- the most iconic. Everybody was holding their breath. They were like going, this is so, the lighting, everything in the place was just absolutely perfect. And it was like, we just moved just very quietly. And it was very serene. And Debbie just, you know, kept shooting. And when you worked with Debbie, it was always 
sort of this like understanding that you just relaxed enough and then you just sort of fell into this mood, what we call it our Debbie moods. And uh, that's how the, the, the bathhouse scenes were created. And each each day, because they had to put a lot of setup and stuff in the place. Each day we shot, you know, part of the series. It was amazing. I'm curious if you've seen this Bellazon account that has a couple pages. Like they've done a pulled a bunch of your photo shoots. Let me see if I can share my screen okay. with you. Um, because you also, uh, you also worked a lot with, uh, were photographed by Arthur. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I'd see Arthur uh, every day. <laughs> Arthur Al Gore. And there's this yes. fabulous, um, but there's this fabulous spread with you. It's like 10 pages, I think. And with okay. photograph of, uh, with illustrations by Antonio. Yeah. Right. Uh, that is is so wonderful. I don't know if you remember that that spread or what it was like working with uh, Arthur. Arthur, uh, actually, I don't know if that has that. There's a color page because we would do the New York collections. I think that's one of them that you're talking about. That we would get to Vogue, and you would be just. It was just before the collections. After the collections were shown, they would photograph them uh, again for Vogue and you would meet like at eight o'clock in the morning and you'd be in for hair and makeup for hours. And with Arthur, Arthur's makeup, he liked it a little more lighter than Debbie. Debbie liked more dramatic makeup. Uh, Arthur liked a little more cleaner, fresher makeup. And uh, one of the shootings we were shooting like uh, during the day and it was so hot and we were doing winter clothes. And then during the evening we were shooting like on the streets uh, on Fifth Avenue, we were shooting near the Met with the water fountain and, and everything. And then we did one shot. I think it was like a Calvin Klein and a beautiful gold uh, necklace. And we had shot it. And then what happened was we were coming back in and it was something like four in the morning. And those vans were very, they were traditional camping vans. And we knew the people that handled it. And I just sat down and it was in what was called the little nook where you would eat your food. It was pretty tiring. And it was like, Arthur and I sat there and went, oh God, it's four o'clock. Arthur, why do we even bother going home just to come back? <laughs> <laughs> why don't we just lie down here <laughs> now or we're going to start anyway. So, so. It, it was like Arthur and I were laughing, and then all of a sudden, Arthur took the picture and he goes, we have the beauty shot. I'm going, the beauty shot? And he was right. It was like the beauty shot that he did, which was amazing. It got a full page in Vogue, and it was like, oh, my God. And I said, no one, no one would ever think this shot was done. <laughs> <laughs> in a camping van in New York at four in the morning. It's amazing. It was amazing. But we do like lots of this. Yes, it was fashion. And it, there was one picture Arthur did uh, that we loved also that uh, we were shooting near uh, Central Park. So that particular thing, Grace thought it was very important to show women as they would be looking chic, but that was their daily look. And to show them in what, like walking the dog. So I had a uh, had a, a dog with me uh, on a leash and I was dressed in this beautiful coat with fur and walking down. And 
the dog all of a sudden got me confused and started going around in circles around me. So I was standing there with this chain, you know, <laughs> with the dog walking around and then just standing there. An author took the picture. It's a great picture. <laughs> it's so funny, but it's like, it's it's so iconic in that only in New York, you know, graphing on the street that we were able to do these spontaneous pictures. Because Arthur was very much about spontaneous shootings. He He loved his you know, models, and but he always liked to keep them very relaxed and not too uh, fussy mm-hmm. and uh, just sort of like do it in relaxed poses or do it in a walking on the street environment or just very a relaxed situation. So a lot of those things with Arthur just happened, you know, magically at that moment in time. Debbie's she would do very interesting things where she her locations were very very unique a lot of them were in new york but they were very they tend to be a little more gothic we did a shooting with patty what happened was that patty hansen we did like a whole gold series and it was in this beautiful huge house on 72nd right off the park and debbie found this room that was very sort of deserted and she had the two of us sort of like in poses and thought in thought and the lighting was just amazing and those pictures are just incredible the way she got us but very removed uh with with arthur's pictures you could relate to the girls there was more of a an eye contact with debbie's pictures there was less of an eye contact and more of a uh, a very very romantic process in it absolutely and of course you I think you still have your hair like this but you have this beautiful blonde bob and all of these and a lot of these images yeah Um, that photograph uh, photograph you're talking about with the with Arthur and the dog um, there's wonderful images close-ups of you with these like wonderful gold cuffs oh yeah Um, right and that was uh, that was at the Met we oh, shot that with Lisa Taylor because it was like, it was like, I think it was three in the morning that, that particular <laughs> day. And it was like, we have the gold cost. So Lisa and I God just tell us where to go. We <laughs> just tell us. And it was all of a sudden, Arthur says, stand against the doors, girls, you know, so we did it. And that's, that's, and then the other one uh, is funny because they put so many bracelets on me and Arthur, we were waiting to see where we could shoot. And I'm standing next to the telephone booth and Arthur goes, hold that pose. <laughs> <laughs> and he shot it. Then he goes, pretend you're talking to someone on the phone. I'm going, I am talking to someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the first image of the spread, which is dressing today, the new ease. Right. Uh, yeah, and you have these wonderful brown and black uh, bracelets. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, so many stunning images, one after the other. I'm also curious because you're being, you know, you're this busy working model during one of the most exciting periods and not just like American fashion, but American pop culture, because you're living during the era of like Studio 54, uh, you know, Halston was friends with so many celebrities uh, like Andy Warhol, of course, famously Liza Minnelli. Um, But I'd love to hear just a little bit more about 
from you about what your life was like living and working in 1970s New York? Well, the 1970s, I had a very insular lifestyle. My whole life was basically uh, working with Halston, Vogue, the the people that I knew. uh, We'd all interrelate because we'd always be seeing Andy Warhol's, you know, and the models that I knew, we were all friends. So we'd be socializing all at the same time. So it would be the the fashion circle, the uh, the circle for sort of like entertainment, meaning like Liza Minnelli, Laura McCall and people. And then you had the art circle, which was Andy Warhol and that group. And Andy was close friends with Halston and Joe Eula. And uh, there are many times that Andy would come up and, you know, see the collection of clothes and see what's going on. So it was very insulated. You, you, there was no time, really, uh, because you would, you would be working very early in the morning. And then when you had time, you know, before collections, you'd go out, there would be all these great social dinners and then uh, down the road, you know, you would have when uh, Studio 4 started in the late 70s, then there was dancing. So it was really uh, a very long day, you might say, in regards to my New York lifestyle. And it was outside of that, the community, uh, it was it was not, it was dangerous. It's not, it was not like you could walk on any place around on your own, quite the opposite. You had to be very careful. And uh, I think uh, by doing that, that's why people, especially in the mid seventies, they had a lot of dinner parties and events just to keep it within their group. Uh, Once things started to get a little better safety wise, then people started having more events. And there was always like great art shows and things that you would go down to and you would go with, you know, in a group, let's say with Andy and some of his people. And then also uh, a lot of times I would go to uh, because I loved art. I would go with Victor Hugo, who is Halston's partner, and uh, we would go to all these incredible art galleries. And, you know, I got to meet Louise Nevelson. It was like, I just couldn't believe it, you know, when I met her. But she was such an icon at that point, you know, one of the great American women, you know, artists at that time. And she was friends with Victor Hugo. And they, they, Victor would help her on certain mountings and things of her artwork and stuff. So I got to meet uh, her at that time as well. So every day was like just, uh, I met Salvador Dali. Wow. Salvador Dali is another one that uh, we would get lots of invitations up at Halston for, for, you know, events and things like that. And what happened was, uh, again, sort of mid-70s, we got the invitation and Halston knew uh, Dolly and Gala for years. And he says, uh, uh, he's doing a press conference. You and Stephen and Dennis, you know, you, you figure it out. You go, I don't need to go. So we would go and, you know, a lot of times we would go to these events representing Halston anyway. So we went to uh, the St. Regis where Salvador Dolly lived for about six months every year with Gala, his wife. We went to the event we sat in the back and uh, he was there and he would sit on in, in the Nat King Cole room, which was very Rococo. And it had the, he sat in this chair that looked like, uh, you know, a huge 
chair for a king. And he would have his cane and he had his mustache that would twirl upward. And so he gave this this PR uh, presentation in candlelight. And then he said, okay, finished, enough. And so we're like looking around and Juan knew him. And so uh, all of a sudden we turn around and say, okay, let's let's go. And Salvador Dali is on his knee and extending his hand to me and saying, I would like to have tea with you. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm looking at Juan, I'm looking at Stephen does what yeah and they're going no 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 i i don't have tea alone i have to have it with all three <laughs> and he goes but of course <laughs> oh my god so that's how i met salvador dolly wow. and uh i ended up having tea at four o'clock because he would have every day tea at four o'clock and then he would sketch you and he would um, he would give you if he decided to sketch you he would go you would go into his because he had rooms in the the, the same regis where where specifically where he would sketch and draw and paint and everything so he would sketch you and then he decided he called me the angel he says no no we're not going to just sit here I want you to go and he chose these mirrors. Uh, in the same region, he says, I want you to gaze in the mirror and I'm going to sketch you that way. And I'm like, going, okay. And so uh, uh, he says, I'm going to call you the angel. And I said, why? And he says, because your blue eyes are casting, you're looking into the blue heavens. So that's how I became the angel. So I went back to Halston. He says, well, how was it? How was your sketching portrait with Salvador Dali and I said well I'm now the angel and he goes okay and he knew it because he knew he gave names to his models because Elsa was also also modeled for Salvador Dali was a friend and and so it was like Oh, everybody knows everybody. And Carlo Rocchi, who was also a Halston model, uh, was sketched by Salvador Dali. But I didn't know that at that moment. That's how we would meet. And Salvador Dali would invite me every Sunday to dinners at Trader Bix with 13 people. And it was like the, the, the idea of the Last Supper. And I was the angel overseeing the event. And every time he would have Andy Warhol there, he would have, you know, the DuPont twins. He would he would have all these people from New York uh, on on a Sunday dinner with Gala, his wife. It was that, it was, is, an, that <laughs> is an amazing story. I mean, what a a life you were living at this time. I mean, it can only imagine. Yeah. All of us can only imagine. <laughs> it was it was like oh yeah okay. But, it was New York at that point. It was a true New York lifestyle. And it was that inner circle of Halston and Andy Warhol that everybody, that we're all together. There was selected grouping of people in there from the Halston models, you know, and then you had like Bianca Jagger, you had Mick Jagger, you had Jerry Hall, you had Andy Warhol, but we all knew each other and we'd all see each other really almost every other day. 
Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this <laughs> hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For limited time dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. I'm so glad you mentioned Halston's inner circle and the models who made up that inner circle, because as you, of course, yourself attest to, you're more than his models, you're his muses, his dear friends, a group of women that Andre Leon Talley dubbed the Halstonettes. Can you tell us a little bit about the Halstonettes? Is that something maybe you guys self-identified as or um, a little bit more about this close-knit community of models that worked with Halston? Sure. The Halstonet term, that was a term that Andre was working for Women's Wear Daily at that point. And they coined this term Halstonets because we were on, we were launching the big, what was called the global trip, which really was also known as the China trip. So we had uh, the Halstonets consisted of that point, uh, nine female models and three male models. The female models were uh, Nancy North, Pat Cleveland, Karen Bjornsson, Alva Chin, uh, Carla Rocky, uh, myself, uh, and uh, Shirley Farrow. Uh, I think I got them all. And and then there was uh, Pat Anderson, Tony Spinelli, and Martin Sarnoff, who were the male models in the group. And we were, we became, you know, uh, we went to Japan, uh, which was amazing. It was amazing because that's the master licensee, the Japanese master licensee for Halston. And we were introducing uh, the fragrance, Halston fragrances, as well as uh, a new line 
for Halston apparel for Japanese women because it had to be scaled down to the Japanese sizing and everything. And they spent, uh, the Japanese were incredible. They built the stage. They, it was something like $2 million uh, put into the whole event, which lasted for about two weeks. We were treated like royalty. Uh, we got to, we did the show in, in a fabulous hotel, the iconic Imperial Hotel. And they built the sets with like mirrors to represent the uh, actual screens and everything. And each one of the girls and everything, we went uh, to the uh, geisha house for dinner and we got to see uh, what was called the Maika, a Maiko, which was a younger geisha girl. And she, Halston, fell in love with her and she had him get up and dance with her. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. And uh, Bianca Jagger was on the trip. Uh, as a guest, Hiro Watanabe, the, the famous photographer and very good friend of Paulston. And, and then the rest of the uh, executive staff, which was Michael Pellegrino and Faye Robeson, the the staff, Bill Dugan, and uh, Mike Lichtenstein, who was the, the head of it. And we were invited to numerous events in Japan. And then also we went to uh, the old city, Tokyo, and we got to see numerous uh, temples, uh, Nara for the deers, which was an event. And uh, also you could get to see Kabuki. It, it was amazing. And you get to see the old city and get to see how it was done versus the new city. So uh, then we moved to China. And China was completely different. Uh, the whole trip was based on uh, having the doors open. Uh, the Chinese wanted to open the doors for commerce and to let people know that let the rest of the world come to China because they could produce and develop things for the world under licensee and everything else. Now, that that's... When you say everything's made in China, that trip was the one that opened the doors. Right. For everything. I mean, FIT wrote a blog about this trip, which is just epic. I mean, they say in 1979, Halston and a 28-person entourage, including the Halstonettes, assistants, executives, and friends, embarked on an international tour to promote American fashion, visiting six cities on three continents over a span of 24 days. And Halston has been quoted as saying, the only thing I didn't furnish was their underwear and something to sleep in. <laughs> right. Well... He did give us uh, jogging outfits, red jogging outfits, so uh, which we wore on the plane. They were all everybody wore red, so we could get lost. So it was. Really... <laughs> <laughs> it, they were great because they were. I think they were Russell, you know, sport, very soft and comfortable. So we would we would all you know wear that on the plane going over, and then in between when you're going to the fashion show, you didn't want to get dressed. In, in the in your wardrobe Paulson's uh designed for each model a very specific individual wardrobe for all events where for the girls uh he de he designed each one a different suit shape jacket uh and skirt and then a pair of pants to go with it and then you would have like two 
uh, what is called silk shirts in a dolman cut that would go under the jacket and you would have it in white and red so you could, you know, have one cleaned, you know, because you'll be using them all the time. And those were for the more of the day events. And then you would be given like uh, a black leather obi and a red obi uh, to tie around your waist. And you would wear the iconic uh, heart-shaped compact with the silk uh, cord across your body. And uh, you would have, you know, your, you, you were designated over what shoes. You could wear high heels or flats. And uh, then he, he, I have the complete set. I'm the only one that kept mine. The casual look was a silk uh, jacket, sort of like, a, almost like a, a loose fitting jacket with uh, elastic pants on top. And you'd wear it with like a, either a, a knit white shirt or a red or a silk shirt to go with it. And that was more of a casual look because when we went on the wall, you were told that you had to get shoes that were uh, rubber soled. So I got these Ferragamo shoes that had this rubber cording so it you would slip because when you went on the on the wall in China, it was very, very slippery. And it was very and during that time that we went there, it was extraordinarily hot. It went up to like a hundred and ten during the day. So you'd get like really your hair would just bleach out from the sun. And we would we would do that. And then we would in, in China, we stayed at a compound. And the compound was built approximately nine, early 1940s. So the furniture, they, they didn't change anything. The furniture was as is. It was done all in this sage green color. The chairs and things in the actual compound, because they had dignitaries, they apparently had Richard Nixon stay there for a while. And because they couldn't accommodate us because they didn't have hotels to accommodate uh, you know, the amount of people that were part of our entourage, they put us in this compound. So we had our rooms, which were all, they were amazing. I mean, you felt like you were in like uh, this movie from 1940s because it was luxurious, but it was like all vintage. And uh, they had a great big uh, dining room that you would eat like your breakfast and things. And then you were taken around China to see all, all the different sites. And one of them was to see the uh, Silk City. So we had to take the, the train out there to see uh, uh, Suzhou, to see the how they make uh, the silk from the silkworms. And it was extraordinary. Wow. Now, when we did the show in China, it was done in a very, very old theater, very old. And it was very dark and uh, we had to do it across, not there was no platform to lead you out. So the show went on and some of the press was shocked because of transparency of some of the clothes because they were sheer. But when you put that line on, it made it sheer. When we went, we finished the show, we had a press conference with the Chinese and Halston turned around and they were very quiet because in, in China, they did not clap for the event because that's, they don't clap or they didn't at that point. And then when we had the press conference, they're all very shy. 
They were all in their uh, Mao outfits because that's all they wore. Men and women wore Mao outfits. You have to be very careful in talking to the interpreter because certain things were recognized and other things were not. So when we went into the actual interview, Paulson realized like, you know, they want to know what this is about. So he encouraged the models uh, to say, here, show it, show it to them, show it, to, let them touch it. So all of a sudden, the whole mood swings changed completely. And they all started trying on some of the clothes. The women were delighted in trying some of the dresses. They've never seen things like that, you know, because they were under Mao rule. And they were just looking and seeing on, on how it was sewn and stitched to, you know, what ultra suede was and what chiffon was and what was, it was amazing. It was wonderful. But uh, he knew he had to get them to that point to, you know, be aware that we truly are trying to com communicate with them and they should not be shy. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. And was he selling so, Halston designs after that trip in China? No, we never sold in China. It was only a mission of inter of opening the doors and showing what American uh, design was about. And they were showing they had actually given Halston one of the one of the outfits that was part of the models uh, wardrobe was silk pajamas. But they were cocktail silk pajamas that you wore to cocktail parties uh, when we were there. And it was magnificent silk. And he made them like an endowment sleeve top with a OB belt and then a great vice cut uh, pants that tie on it. They were fabulous. And he loved the, the, the silk, the quality of the silk and everything. But we never distributed anything there because, you see, that was also the beginning, you know, a lot of times of licensing. And li licensing is not really understood correctly and what what licensing can do and help a company you know develop into a bigger company and well you see now a lot of things whether it's uh calvin or ralph or numerous other designers the gap a lot of them uh have been made in china or they have specific lines that sell in there now but not at that moment in time it was too early it was something where they just opened the doors and it was just starting to come in. I think with the China trip, it was iconic um, and it wasn't really recognized in the way it should have been. It was it was supposed to be, I don't remember, the, uh, one of the American TV companies was supposed to record it. And I don't know whether they did or they lost the film. Uh, but it was really... Uh, an iconic moment that American, the American designer was coming there and doing, you know, the bridge right. to, to create what developed that we know now as so much uh, business between China and the U.S. market, uh, you know, from clothing to uh, all types of apparel and other products that are made in China. But that was the beginning of it all. And Holston knew it. Yeah. And 
Halston was groundbreaking in so many ways, and not all of those ways were recognized, obviously, during no. his lifetime. Um, no. And you and I have already decided you're going to come back to talk specifically about Halston, um, because you yourself have been instrumental in preserving and promoting his legacy since his passing in 1990. Thank you so much for coming on the show and being so generous with your memories um, and providing all of these insights into this time that, like I said, so many of us can only imagine. And I can't let you go today without talking about your instrumental role in preserving Halston's legacy, specifically the role you've played in the creation of his archive and the maintenance of his archive. Um, today, you are one of the definitive Halston experts, and you also have this singular archive of his work that you worked with him to create. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I'd love to. Uh, we started this uh, because after Versailles, what was customary is that you do a collection and then the model can choose one of the pieces in it for herself. And I wanted the fairy princess dress. It was uh, featured in the second segment and it's it's beautiful uh, paillette. It was a pale mint green. And yeah, I don't know how to put it other than it disappeared. And when we got to New York, we couldn't find it. But we're used to this because during that time period, clothes would just disappear. If it was sent out to uh, magazines or other you know, institutions, sometimes it would be lost. The messenger lost it. These were very, very common things. So we didn't really, we thought, oh, okay. So the second that my next choice was the a white and black dress, toga dress that I wore with Elsa Peretti in the beginning segment of Versailles, and that too disappeared. So he said, okay, that's it. You know, that's it. What we're going to do is you and I, because he knew I like to collect things. I used to collect jewelry, vintage jewelry and stuff. He said, what we're going to do is we're going to work on certain selected pieces and you're going to start collecting the clothing and your mother, because your mother also buys from me as right. well. And then you wear them lightly and then you donate them to the museum, which made great sense because it's cemented the history of it in a museum. So that's how we initially started to do it. And the pieces, mine is more of a legacy collection because these pieces were done on me or in, or actually some of the first, first uh, beginning samples as well. So it really came from the designer. It was not restructured or revised for the production. Some of the pieces that you see uh, will have the name of Saxon Avenue, Bergdorf Goodman, you know, those were slightly revised for production purposes. They always are. So the original samples are the ones that are truly, they were made on the model, on the model's body. So that's that's the final piece that, you know, the designer, you know, put together. So that's a very important sort of part of the design because you see why he did it in that way. Now, a lot of these pieces have very specific uh pattern shapes in it as well as treatments and sewing and how he created gourds and things like that on certain pieces uh, how he created what is called people know the infinity scarf but he really created this infinity uh scarf 
years back to go with one of my evening and burgundy dress with a, a in file. Uh, I also have the infinity scarf in silk chamoose, which looks totally different than the one made in, in, in this file. I have the cashmeres. I have the cashmere jumpsuits and I have the jumpsuits with the V-neck to be able to see how he thought in that modern sort of like look of, you know, putting jumpsuits together with tall boots and a great jacket. I also have, which is very rare, selected pieces from the Holston, what was called sportswear line, which was really like, it was very, it was expensive and it was sold on uh, the uh, next to Donna Karen and Calvin Klein because they had separate. And he had this idea that he could make beautiful clothes and he could do like a suit combination, but his his women, for, for them, unless they did made to order, uh, they would have to order, let's say if they bought the ensemble and they needed a pair of pants, th that would have to be ordered and made to order. So it would take a lot of time. He thought if he could do, let's say, a beautiful collection of, of a suit outfit with pants and coordinated what is called uh, the overcoat and or the uh, raincoat and then uh, the different assortments. If it was winter, a beautiful a different type of sweaters and cardigans that would go with the outfit and interchange. So it was very, very special. It was fabulous. He used like mink and cashmere together in some of the pieces and they're extraordinary. And he used his classic colors and he used a lot of his uh, signature shapes that could be used in different variables. And he did it for a uh, fall winter and then he did a spring summer line using, uh, you know, rayon uh, because he was famous for introducing rayon. That's another piece uh, where he was known for introducing fabrics of that quality, but rayon was, you know, one of them as well as ultra suede. And he would use rayon to, to have the look of linen without, you know, getting all the wrinkle and crinkle in there. And so there's all these stories that are linked into each and every one of these outfits that I have that they relate to Holston's design concept. It's a design concept and it's it's the story behind them that makes them very, very interesting. It's not just a, uh, which is beautiful to have a patron's dress like they do you know, in, in the museums. This particular collection has the beautiful clothing, but it also has stories attached to each one. I have a beautiful uh, selection of what he called he loved dirndl skirts and what's funny is that the dirndl was a very important skirt for a lot of park avenue ladies it was considered the best look for them with a beautiful blouse and that was initiated by jackie kennedy onassis when she developed into publishing she had come and she told us i want something simple but chic it was amazing how he, he orchestrated these things you know but there's all these different patterns in what I have, and I have samples of the tie-dyes and everything else he incorporated. Well, you are such an incredible storyteller, Chris. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Thank you. I look forward to expanding on it. <laughs>
Dress listeners, if it feels like Chris and I only skimmed the surface of Halston's life and legacy, you are not wrong. She really is a Halston expert. She has an incredible collection of Halston garments in addition to all her firsthand experience and knowledge. And her and I honestly could have talked for hours. She was so incredibly generous with her time. So do not be surprised, actually, if you hear from her again in the future. There's so much more to say. That does it for us today, dress listeners. Until Tuesday, may you consider the legacy of Halston designs that might reside in your closet next time you get dressed. We love hearing from you. So if you'd like to write to us at our new email address, you can do so at hello at dressedhistory.com. That's hello at dressedhistory.com. And you can sign up there for our newsletter if you would like to send us your email. Um, And you can check out our new website at www.dressedhistory.com as well. You can also DM us at Instagram at dress underscore podcast, where we post images and reels to accompany each week's episode. And if you want to find the Instagram content specifically connected to this episode, check out the hashtag dress 301. That's dressed and the number is 301. And of course, you can also find us on Facebook, dress podcast without the underscore. More dressed coming your way Thursday. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of Dressed Media.